Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. There was a men's retreat. The men's retreat was 80 men. They were together at a retreat center for a number of days. The speaker before the first of the evening session, there was a couple of evening sessions, the speaker at the retreat, this is a true story, the speaker at the retreat uh, was talking to the organizer and he asked the organizer, he said, what should, I, what should I know before I get up and do my presentation? And the organizer said, well, you have 30 minutes. And so the speaker said, okay, okay. Um, he said, what if, what if God really begins to move? Well, the organizer said, well, that's good, but you have 30 minutes. So the speaker said, so if 30 minutes, if that happens and 30 minutes comes, well, I'll look over to you, and if you tug on your right earlobe, that's an indication, shut her down, 30 minutes. Fine. <laughs> then the organizer said, but you have 30 minutes, right? So he was speaking, he was about 10 minutes into his speaking, 80 men, and he felt a very strong prompting of the Holy Spirit. There was a person over to his left. And so he came. He was on the floor with him. But he, he went over to the person. The person was in the fourth row. Kind of where Art's standing, sitting right there. And he went, he went over to this person. And, and the speaker um, introduced himself to the person. And the person to the speaker. The person's name was Alex. And the speaker just said, um, Alex, I sense something as unusual is going on in your life. Is there some way I can help you? Well, Alex's face was full of alarm. It's like he's pointing me out in front of the whole group. And Alex was quick to say, no, everything's fine. And the speaker apologized, made his way back, and he began to teach again. He wasn't minutes into it, and he couldn't shake it. Walked back over. This time, he pulled out a chair, <laughs> sat beside Alex. He said, he said Alex, I'm really, I'm, I don't want to offend you. I'm not doing this to embarrass you. But he says, I really cannot escape. There's something going on, and I don't, I don't know if you were being honest with me earlier. Well, he said, if you looked at Alex's face, his face was absolute shock. And Alex says, how did you know? And the speaker says, I don't know. I've told you everything I know. But God knows something's going on. And he nudged me to talk to you. Well, Alex then proceeded to say, well, years ago he entered into business. He was a businessman. He was successful, made good money. But God called him out of his business to work with men full time. And so he shut down his business and he went full time to work with men but he, it wasn't supporting him financially. And he had run up all his credit cards, maxed them out, and he was beyond that $16,000 in debt. He had just called. He was so discouraged. He called his wife that afternoon and said, I'm quitting the ministry. I'm quitting the ministry, and I'm going back into business for myself. So he said, he told his wife that after the session that night, he was, he was quitting. So the speaker asked him, and he said, the speaker realized right at that moment, 30 minutes was up. 
So he looked over at the organizer, and he wasn't pulling on his ear. So the speaker continued and, and, and said, Alex, I have a question for you. Did God tell you to quit the ministry? And Alex said, no, he never told me to quit. And Alex kind of squared his shoulders. He says, I can't quit. No, I will not quit. God has just spoken to me. I will not quit the ministry. Well, the organizer got up and he came over and he says, okay, this is it. Guys, let's pray for him. And so the guys got up and it just transformed the whole meeting. So guys got up and they began to pray for him. So as they were praying for him, guys began to reach in and pulled out their wallet. They began to take out cash. Other guys began to write checks. By the time the prayer was done, he had $16,000 in his possession. The time the prayer was done. Now, it was a true story. If that speaker had not been obedient to the Holy Spirit, they would have still had a good night. There would have been some good teaching. But Alex's life would not have been radically changed. And neither would the men's life been radically changed, knowing that God cares. And the story of, of this is a story of God's desire to work in partnership with people just like you and I, people who are you and I, to be part of his miracle workers. Living free is not about being free from incarceration. Many times we think salvation, he has saved me. And even in the word salvation, the idea is that you were dying and he gave you life. And it's like it was a one-time moment thing. But it really isn't. Living free really is, is that it begins at that moment. Life begins at that moment. It's not simply he rescued you from something. He did. But he has set you back into the place where he designed you to be in the very first place. Which is abundant living. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get wealthy. But it is abundant living. And it's living free from the entanglements that want to tangle you every single day of your life. It's living free from that. You're in another realm. You're in another trajectory. It cannot hold you. It cannot pull you. It cannot determine your future. Living free. Well, this story coincides with John chapter 10 verse 37. Jesus said, do not believe me unless... Now Jesus said, don't believe me. Why would Jesus say, don't believe me? Let's finish it. Jesus in John 10, 37, do not be, believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you don't believe me, believe the miracles. In other, in other words, believe what God will do supernaturally. Stepping outside the realm of our normal into his realm of normal. If you don't believe me for who I say I am, if you don't believe the words I say, because there was a lot of philosophers of his day, he said, listen, if you don't believe me for the words, then believe me for the demonstration of the Father flowing through me. I wonder if the world would be transformed if we better demonstrated the awesomeness of our God. Instead of just talk, instead of just you know, reciting someone else's story, 
but it actually becomes my story, becomes your story, becomes our story. Jesus said, believe me for the miracles. I wonder how many times you've been in a situation where God urgently wanted to do something supernatural, unexplainable, bigger than you could imagine, but didn't because somebody was pulling their ear. And we didn't go there. I tell this story because I believe it illustrates the kind of personal desire God desires to engage with us in his kingdom of living free. A couple things I want to share that starts this whole work off. Number one is we will not get to the place of walking in that freedom and living then in freedom if we do not grasp or at least begin now to grasp how much Papa God loves us. It has to. It has to transform us right there. Because so many times, if you've, come from, if you've come from different church backgrounds, maybe you've come from a mainline denomination, you've come from maybe another religion, and often those are driven with fear. If you get out of line, God will cuff you upside the head. And so out of fear, you go to church. Out of fear, you say your prayers. Out of fear, you do things. But that is not of God. The Bible says that fear is not of God. Fear actually is a spirit, a bad spirit. God is motivated by love. We can use the phrase, Papa God, Dad, our Father, our Heavenly Father, a God who loves us. He loves us. And He cares for us. Um, Dwight Lyman Moody. Many of us maybe have heard of D.L. Moody. He was born in 1837. I thought I'd just give you a, a quick little bio. Uh, D.L. Moody Again, born in 1837, he was a famed American evangelist and publisher connected with the holiness movement. He founded the Moody Church, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishers. If you read Christian books, you've read books that have been published by Moody Publishers. If you listen to Christian radio or broadcasting, you'll hear it coming from uh, Moody Bible Institute uh, on the radio uh, frequently. Uh, so D.L. Moody, he was the kind of the guy behind all that. That's his story. So D.L. Moody had traveled to England it was about mid-ministry time in his life. And he met a young man over in England uh, whose name was Henry Moorhouse. Henry Moorhouse, incidentally, would go on to pioneer a tremendous work in the downtown trodden areas of London to the poor. But this is early in Moorhouse's life. And so D.O. Moody met this Moorhouse they had never met before, and they were just making acquaintances with one another. And Moody said, just out of the, you know, generosity and just not knowing really what else to say, Moody said, well, listen, if you're ever in Chicago, come to my church and I'll give you a chance to preach. We thought that would be like, it won't happen. First of all, he's got a three-week trip across the ocean and then he's got to get all the way over to Chicago. It won't happen. But he did make the offer, not thinking anything would come of it. Well, just a couple of months later, wouldn't you know, he got a telegram from Moorhouse who, who said, quote, I am in New York and plan to be at your church in Chicago this coming Sunday. <laughs> never make a promise if you're not willing to follow through. Moody didn't know what to do. He had never heard him preach. He didn't know what caliber of a man he had in front of him there. And so, not only that, Moody was going away that weekend. He wasn't even going to be at his church on Sunday, and he was going to be away. He had other meetings all that next week. And so Moody went to his leadership team, and he told his leadership team about Moorhouse, and he said, so let him preach, 
on Sunday. And if the people particularly enjoy them, because they had meetings every night, if the people particularly enjoy them, then let them speak another night. So Dale Moody went on his thing, and, and Morehouse, sure enough, showed up. And So Moody comes back a week later, and he goes to his wife, and you know wives can give you the bare honest truth when you least need it. He goes to his wife, and he, he asks her, he said, um, well, how did he do? And she said, he's a better preacher than you. <laughs> and she says, besides that, he's telling sinners that God loves them. Moody says, well, that's not right. God doesn't love sinners. Because Moody had yet to learn about the God of love. Well, she said, well, if you don't think so, go out and hear him. Moody said, what? She said, well, he's been speaking every night since. And she says, not only that, he's only been preaching from one text. It's John 3.16. So sure enough, Moody was there. He went to the meeting. Moorehouse began by saying, I've been hunting for a text all day, and I have not been able to find one better than John 3.16. So I'm going to talk about it once more. And he went in to talk about John 3.16. And listen, afterward, Moody, Moody testifies this in, his, in one of his writings. He says... That that night, he received his first clear understanding of the gospel of grace and the greatness of God's love. Karl Barth, another name. Karl Barth, Swiss theologian. When Karl, and he's one of the greatest minds, expositors, apologists of his day. When he was an old man, he had just concluded a series of lectures Discussion period followed, and a young man asked the question, Dr. Barth, what's the greatest thought that has ever gone through your mind? How would you answer that? What's the greatest thought that has ever gone through your mind? And it actually somewhat stumped Dr. Barth. He paused for some time, and then he raised his head and with great simplicity said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That was it. You know, a few years after that, they made that song part of a Sunday school song. And they added some words. How many here know that song? Okay, help me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. I just invite, would you close your eyes and just sing that chorus again and just listen to those words. Sing it again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. Last June, evangelist prophet, friend of mine, Clyde Williamson was here at the church. At the end of the service, he was praying for a number of people at the altar. Some of you... Maybe we're a part of that. I 
stood with him as he prayed for different folk. Something stood out. It's not unusual to Clyde. You just, I mean, nothing's unusual with Clyde. But many of you, when he finished praying for you, you began to go back to your seat, and he would call after you. And he'd say, oh, by the way, he didn't know your name. He said, oh, by the way, and you would turn. And looking deep into your eyes and soul, he would say, God wants you to know he loves you. I remember the first time he did it, and I thought, well, that's really nice. And then he did it again. He'd be like going to the next person, and he'd, oh, by the way. And it was like God just nudged him and says, we're not done with this person. Tell them, God really loves you. If we are going to be in partnership with the miracle-working God, we have to grasp how much he loves me. He's not a God waiting for me to slip. He's not a God impatient with me, tapping his toe in heaven's door frame, waiting for Wayne to get his life fixed up. He's not a God who's mad at me. He's a God who pours his affections in love. When you read scripture and see how much he loves me, it changes the direction of your faith and your life. And many of the things that seem impossible and huge and impassable seem small and petty and trite when you realize just how much He loves you. The first thing is to embrace how much God loves you. As a matter of fact, that's the very first thing when you go into this course. It's talking about how much the Father loves you. He loves you. But that alone does not stand there's a second thing where he says, and God has given you his spirit as his senior partner. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Acts 1.8. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The disciples began to understand God not only loves me, but his Holy Spirit abides in me. And his Holy Spirit is actively, he's not just there and just say, oh, well, he's there. He is actively doing something. By essence of his existence, he cannot remain still. He has to create. He has to fulfill the wishes of the Father. And so by essence of him living in you, he's at movement. He's doing something. So if our lives are not exemplifying it, it's not because he isn't trying. His Holy Spirit lives and abides and moves inside us as a living person. I can just picture the disciples in the early days sitting around the table together having dinner. And somebody says, hey, Philip, do you remember the day the Holy Spirit prompted you to go out on the road? And you stood by the road, and you didn't know why. And the chariots and horses were going back and forth. And then the Holy Spirit prompted you again to, to run alongside that one chariot. And so he did. And Philip ran along the side. And Philip began to speak about the prophet Isaiah. The guy stopped. The guy committed his life to God the Father, and got baptized in the Jordan River. And I can picture the disciples talking, Philip, do you remember that day when God got a hold of you? I can imagine another saying, hey, Peter, do you remember the time where God told you to get out of your comfort zone and go up on into that area, and you began to preach, and people began to get saved, and at the same time, others were picking up rocks and began to hit you with rocks. They tried to kill you. But remember how many gave their lives to Christ that day. I can picture somebody saying, hey, Rhoda, 
Do you remember when you called that prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit nudged your heart, and so you called everybody to get together. You're going to pray, oh God, help Paul. Oh God, help Silas. They're in jail tonight. God, give them the strength to endure their incarceration. And then you got the knock at the door. Remember, Rhoda, you went to the door and you just about passed out? Because there they were, God freed them. Can't you picture the early days of the disciples talking, reminiscing of the miracle-working God in their midst, not of stories told, not of events that happened in yesterday, but they were happening in their day, in their hour, in their time. I can see the early church. There's a picture there of, 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 of this earthly and heavenly cooperation. The story can really be found, one of the stories. I'm going to share this in the next few weeks because there's a number of them. But this week I want to take 1 Kings. I'm going to close with this. 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. There's a story in 1 Kings 22. And it gives us a glimpse of what is happening as God brings us into cooperation as senior partner to miracles. If we're going to live free, then we need to get a hold of what happened in the life of the early church. Because that wasn't meant to die out with the early church. It was meant to be lived on in the church here in Cornerstone, in my life and in your life. It's not a special person that he does this with. It is those that avail themselves and yield to him. 1 Kings chapter 22 tells a story. It's the story of King Ahab. A King Ahab is a wicked king. He was the most wicked king at that time. Of course, he didn't marry up. He married down. He married Jezebel. Anybody heard of Jezebel? Okay. She's not your poster girl. Jezebel was called a wicked witch. She was wicked, and, and you hear of her death a little bit later. So the two of them were a bad dynamic duel. And Israel had been saddled with them, and they were oppressors over the entire land of Israel. God's people's hearts were broken. Now, they were wavered from God themselves, and so they didn't even know where to turn. But God heard the cry. You know, I've convinced God hears the cry. I was reading just yesterday of a couple of our missionaries, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada missionaries, Kevin and Julia Garrett. They were in China and back in 2015, uh, even just prior, either incarcerated. And uh, in that time, uh, they thought they were spies. And so they spent, he would spend over a year in jail. And he's telling the story. I was reading this yesterday. He's telling the story. Um, and good friends of ours. We're missionary friends with them. I was just talking to Doug Butler this week. And they're just going to be having dinner this week. With uh, They live in Vancouver now. Uh, they travel around sharing the story of what happened. And they're back into ministry again. But this was a horrible time in their life. Where they were incarcerated. They were taken. They were, they were in prison. They were interrogated for, uh, for over half a year. Uh, in solitary confinement. For nothing. It was all a mistake. It was all a mistake. So... Uh, his wife is on house arrest. A bail has been posted. Harper government had freed her. She's in house arrest. Uh, Kevin is still locked in jail, and, and he's with 12 other men in very difficult conditions in southern China. And he was, it, he was, it was about a, almost a year, his incarceration. It's like he was reading the Bible. They gave him a Bible. He was reading the Bible over and over. But he says he had to skip the passages of suffering because he would just weep and cry. He couldn't take it. So he read all the other passages, but when it came to somebody suffering, he had to jump over and get past it because all he would do is cry because he, 
He knew God was there, and God visited him many times, but many times God was silent, and he didn't understand it. He tells this one incident. It was so clear that he, had, he, had been, he was just standing, and there's kind of a window makeshift thing, and there was one drop that was on the window, and one drop worked its way down the window. And God spoke to him. And God said, that's my tear. God says, although I'm not freeing you today, every time you cry, I cry. And that's just a tear. That just kind of tears me up. And I'm thinking, God, that what a sweet moment. There he is feeling so alone, so unjustly treated. But just that one thing, and then that thought that comes, a thought that's not a normal thought. That God is saying, listen, we're crying together. I haven't left you or forsaken you. You get this picture that God is not just absent. He's not gone off to do other business. And so in 1 Kings chapter 22, what has happened to King Ahab, Jezebel, wicked people over the nation of Israel. And they desire to take a nation called Syria and they're going to take over Syria, and they were going to conquer, and there was a particular region called Ramoth Gilead, and so they were going to go to war against them. So Ahab got a bunch of his prophets, his false prophets around him, 400 of them. Why he needs 400, I'm not sure. He gets 400 false prophets, and he, he asks, should I go to war? And they all go, go to war, you're going to win, go to war, Woohoo! we're going to have a triumphant victory. And the king of Judah says, listen, those guys are your yes men. You need a real prophet. You need somebody who really listens to God. You need this guy by the name of Micaiah. And Ahab says, I don't like him because he never says anything good. And Judah's king said, well, your guys are saying good things, but there are 400 of them, and I'm not convinced they're real. So he gets Micaiah. Micaiah comes in. He says, you know, what does he do? And Micaiah kind of chimes in with everybody else. And he says, come on, no, tell me. What, what really do you see? And he says, and here's, this is the most, you don't get a whole lot of these passages. There's a few. 1 Kings twenty two nineteen. 19. Micaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice King Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? Hear this conversation? One suggested this, another suggested that. Verse 21, finally a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him by what means the Lord said. And he said, I'll deceive him. I'll deceive him. We just have this moment glimpse right here of what's taking place in the heavenlies. It's almost like there's a conference room and God the Father is there. And upon the businesses taking place on earth, God the Father is saying, okay, we need to remove this king. Different ones came forward and had suggestions, but the one came before him and said, my suggestion is that we will deceive him. We'll deceive him. He says, uh, Spirit came and said, I will entice him. And then follow up the Lord says, and you will succeed. Go. Well, that's exactly what happened. What happened down on earth is King Ahab, after he listened to Micah, he, Micah just told him, you're going to die if you go to war. You're going to die. King Ahab cursed him, went to war anyway, and he got killed in the battle. It happened. Because God had worked a plan, and he was discussing it with others. I want to suggest that there's a number of places, and probably you can think, places in Scripture where God opens up the veil of heaven and shows you this conversation taking place. 
And I want to suggest that when we see things on earth, even in the Lord's Prayer, he says, um, when we pray, um, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, there's something going on in the heavenlies. Now bring into pass what's going on to earth to line up to what's going on in the heavenlies. And God will cooperate with his sons and daughters, his children, you and I, here on earth, many times in order to see that take place. We see this in the scripture of Jesus when Jesus would say, he began to talk and, and Jesus says, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Think about that for a sec. Jesus says, my heavenly father is always at work every single day. He goes to work every day if you would. Did you think about God doing that? My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And then he goes on, verse 19, two verses later, John 5, 19. He says, I tell you the truth. <coughs> I tell you the truth. The son himself can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever his father does, the son does. You have this idea, heaven's to-do list, and the son is saying, God, what do you want me to do? And this, the father decrees that the son does it. There's something that brings us into this partnership. Not only does God deeply, deeply love you, but he's chosen to partner with you for miracles. That somewhere in the heavenlies, God is nudging, just as in the story I told you earlier, of the speaker who felt a prompting. What happened there? The father prompted. And he went and he was obedient to the prompting was obedient moving in on a situation because the Holy Spirit led him to that. We are not led by the circumstances merely of life. We are led also by His Spirit. The Bible says, so walk and keep in step with His Spirit. Don't start walking your own path. Don't start pulling back or lagging or running ahead. But keep in step with Him. He will guide you. He will walk with you. And He will show you where you can minister and be effective. So as we close this morning, I just... Living free is not about free from something. It's about living free towards something. That he has called me to be free and to give freedom. And the miracle that God wants to flow through our lives is the miracle that heaven begins to set and design that we would be partners with him in his miracles. May our hearts be open. May our yes be yes to him. May there be a sense of, yes, God, here am I. Just as that spirit would stand before the Father and come and say, I'll do something. Let me be a part of the answer that you have. As we, I'm going to have the worship team, worship team, come on back up, join us. We're going to sing that song again. Understanding that God has brought us into this partnership with him to do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. I'm just believing, God, open my heart. Maybe it's been closed. Maybe I've not expected. Maybe I've just gotten into the routine. But that God would just open up the supernatural, His, His plans, superseding my plans, superseding my plans to be able to do what He wants to do in my life to touch other people's lives. Father in heaven, I thank you. The privilege we have as we read this text, as, Lord, we began to get our heads around what it was you were saying to the Galatian church when you told them, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let ourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. God, 
I pray freedom. I pray freedom. Lord, maybe there are areas that we are bound with the yoke of slavery. And God, I pray this morning on our first Sunday of living free, break the shackles. If there are those here this morning and you're here this morning and you have an addiction, a chemical addiction, an alcohol addiction, we're going to believe with you for freedom today that God will set you free. Maybe you have a pornography addiction. Maybe you have something in which maybe it's not identified as an addiction, but you've not, you're not free. You're not free from it. It might even be emotional. It might be to fear. It might be you're so nervous. You're so anxious. You're riddled with anxiety. He wants to set you free. He also wants to send you as freedom givers to others. And that your heart would say, yes, Lord. Look no farther. Yes, Lord. Father, I pray, complete what you've begun here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.